And another reminder that Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. It gives you everything you need in one place, and it's free. You can use it right from your phone or your computer. They have creation tools, so you can record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. And they'll distribute your podcast for free. So you can hear it on Spotify, Apple, Google, and many more. Just like us here at BraveMaker. Make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So download the Anchor app today and go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks to our sponsors. Now back to the show. Stories, scripts, and conversations with creators. This is the Brave Maker Podcast. Hey, hey, Brave Makers. Welcome to the online Brave Maker experience and the Brave Maker podcast. If you're watching live, love you all to say hello where you're chatting from. Going to invite you to ask questions and engage with our special guest today. But before we do, oh, as always, my beautiful Brave co host, Christina Jackson, welcome to the show. <laughs> hey, what's going on, Tony? Glad to be back. So, so excited for today's show. She's uh, wearing her T'Challa representation. And do you want to make public why you're wearing oh, yeah. that, by the way? Bring it. Why are you wearing that today? Oh, yeah. Thank you so much, man. Way to, way to hold me accountable. So uh, <laughs> I'm in the process of writing a comic book. And so I am, if I'm on camera, I'm in costume until I get it published. And I actually had a really good friend today share an extensive list of black comic book publishers. Uh, if you could imagine, yeah, if you're interested in that, hit me up on Instagram, Christina Ray Jacks, and I'll share that info with you. That is really cool. We're all about that Brave Maker relationship building here. So, yes, we have to be accountable to our dreams and setting our goals. So go ahead and follow Miss Christina Ray Jackson. Uh, we'd love you to support uh, this creative dream of hers to get her comic book published. So with no further ado, by the way, thanks for chiming in already. We see it. We see. Hello, uh, awesome. Eric. Eric from uh, SoCal, thanks for joining. But tell us why you're excited today about our special guest, Christina. So Francie has worked on some really incredible projects, uh, really just highlighting queer culture. Uh, I identify as queer, and it's just it was really beautiful to see the documentaries that she's been working on, and I can't wait to ask her all about them. Never seen, I've never seen anything like it. I can honestly say that today. Uh, the doc, one of the documentaries we're going to be talking about. Stonewall Out Loud, I've never seen anything like it, so I'm really excited to talk to her. All right on. With no further ado, Francie Cashler, everybody. Yay! Welcome to the show. Francie. How you doing, I'm Francie? Good. I'm good, you know, living it up here. I'm about eight miles from the fires in oh boy. L.A., which is awesome. Uh, Not, but um, we have a bag ready to go, just in case we get well, evacuated. Welcome to California. That's kind of how we're living these days, trying to yes. live the dream at the same time, not die. Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, Francie, it's, it was fun because we got to um, we got to pin you as the Hollywood editor. That's how, <laughs> how we, we were pitching today, uh, which was super fun and exciting. But we're um, we're connected because of a f- mutual friend and actress, Allison. Uh, she said, "You've got to meet 
my friend Francie. She's doing amazing things, and she wanted to connect you, uh, connect you to us through Brave Maker. So thanks for your time. Well, why don't you? Um, so shout out to Allison, and we're going to show the trailer of her film Scarlet Thread later. And we have uh, Lupe from the Brave Maker team, who's a cinematographer and editor, who's watching across the room <laughs> right now. Yeah. So I'm looking at him. <laughs> uh, so. Can you give us a little background? What's your bio? How'd you get connected <laughs> to this connected. wonderful entertainment industry? Um, so I, well, I, I was born and raised in Chile and I moved here. I moved to San Diego in high school because I have these hippie friends, hippie parents who are also my friends. Um, their dream was to live in Southern California. So we packed up and moved. So that was interesting. Um, and um, I, you know, in high school, I, you know, you do some artsy stuff, but not, you don't really get into, I did photography and dabbled, but I never really settled into anything. Um, and then I went to San Diego State Film School and um, absolutely fell in love with everything, storytelling. Um, yeah, it was just, I mean, never in front of the camera, but just like the magic of everything. San Diego State is a really great school because you do everything. You, it's like really almost like a technical school. You do, um, we shot on film at the time. So that was great and really expensive, but you learn to like pre-edit your shit, you know? Can we, we can use that word, right? <laughs> We're an adult program. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So it's like really hands-on program, which, um, you know, kind of sets you up for whatever else is after college. So many of our guests are um, not in film school. And sometimes those of us who don't didn't go to film school feel a little bit underqualified and underrepresented. So as someone who went to film school, you had a good experience, even though you're, you said it was expensive, you're shooting on film. And it sounds like you got a really good um learning like you got to try all these different things do you think if you did not go to film school and you weren't exposed to this do you think you would have ended up where you are today yes absolutely you do. yeah okay. i mean maybe not in the same route but i think it's about like what film school did for me not only did i um have access to equipment but what really did for me was um, this is an era that was like there was no Facebook there were no groups it was really hard to find other creative people so I think in right. this day and age you could make that right like you can join groups you can you know you guys have an awesome community and it's like really the relationships that I made in film school that are still to this day what get me the gig mm -hmm. you know like we're just like you make homies and you are homies for life and you just you know that that person can do the job because you know each other. And so I feel like that was the most valuable thing I got from film school is my homies. Relationships yeah. are so key in mm -hmm. this business, right? Who you work with, who you know, who knows you. And then do you like working together with these yeah. people? Are they people yeah. you want to spend 14 hours a day on right. set or in an editing bay? Right. So one more yeah. question from me and then I'll turn it over to Christina. So you go to film school and you, you do all these different things. I know they make you do all sides usually when you go to mm -hmm. film school, but you end up editing. Yeah. Talk about that. Talk about how you chose that part of the business for your career. Um, I 
love crafting a story. Um, and then, so like right after film school, I got this crazy job where um, we would take World War II document, like we would take audio interviews from World War II veterans and we made like personalized videos using National Archive images to tell their story. So it was like boot camp, right? It was like, yeah, I learned how to edit in college and I'll try this out. And I just like absolutely fell in love with the craft just because it just, you know, you're, you're, you, and like filmmaking is so many art forms that come together, like photography and, you know, design and acting and uh, editing is like the one thing that belongs to filmmaking, you know? So that's, I think that's what, what did it was when I started. And that was like boot camp too. Mm. Like, you know, you're talking about not going to film school. That was like hours and hours and hours of footage that I had to put together. And, and I did it from like, I wrote it and then I delivered it. So it was like all on me and it was just like boot camp. So yeah, like if you can start doing that with your parents, like interview them and then put their photos together and that's your boot camp, you know? I love it. That is fantastic. So I was introduced to Francie's work through the documentary Stonewall Out Loud, which if you haven't seen it yet, it is phenomenal, available on YouTube. And we also bonded just before the show started, we were talking about another documentary that she worked on Frida's Got a Gun, and if you don't know who Frida is, she's also known as AKA the Queen of Bounce. Please tell me how you got involved in these two projects. They're amazing. Well, they are the same producers. Okay. Um, Randy Barbado and Fenton Bailey, they actually produce RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, and so I've worked um, on their, so they're also directors, so they directed Stonewall Out Loud, and I've worked with them for about 10 years on and off. Um, and so they produced Frida Got a Gun and brought on um, Chris McKim, who's the director. And so I sort of joined forces with the team mm -hmm. on that. And how did you decide to craft this story? So sorry, Tony. That's okay. The um, was Frida Got a Gun? Yes. So uh, of, of course, um, Chris did a phenomenal job out in the field. And um, basically it's like every, every documentary has its own sort of pattern and structure. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's what I kind of love about it is because it's so like, not like TV where there's always a structure, you know, there's acts. And I mean, of course the film has acts, but you're a little bit more free form. So he had, um, he shot a lot of scenes. He went out with Frida uh, over a period of a year. Um, and so we, you know, we, he would come back to the office and put it all together. Um, and it's like, it's just like when you write a, a screenplay, you just have your scenes that you lay out and then you move them around and see how they come together. Um, this film was particularly special and also hard because it's like um so many scenes mm -hmm. like that don't go like they're not like beginning middle end right like each each pod was its own beginning middle end and so finding how to structure them together was 
a real puzzle. It was a real challenge because sometimes you you put like, for example, we had a scene of um, our fourteen-year-old uh, boy who drums in the streets, and the scene before it talked about, um, you know, stars and stripes of how how young men get their stars and stripes, and it's like very um, intense. And putting that together, like going from that scene to the next scene of a little 14-year-old boy made it sound like he was like, you know, way harder or way like meaner than he really was because those two scenes went together. So it's, it was always about like, you don't want to like, you have to be careful when you um, put, you know, certain scenes, like when you juxtapose ideas mm -hmm. Um, you have to be aware of how they come together, how they're affecting um, the emotion of the next scene. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, so if you just separate those two scenes and put something in the middle, it softens it up mm -hmm. and your preconditioned ideas of a little boy, you know, go away and then you can see him for who he is versus coming from like this heavy scene. If that makes any sense. It does. I, yes, uh, yes, totally. It's so powerful. I forget the name of it, but there's a really well-known study about how people perceive emotion in film. You probably know what it is, right? Where they had a bunch of actors who basically all were looking and they weren't looking at anything in particular, but the camera filmed the actors just looking. So I'm looking here. And then based on what they edited in, to what the actor was looking, the audience would then obviously make assumptions what the character was feeling. So if I'm just looking, but nothing on my face changes, but you see a little girl crying because she spilled ice cream, or you see, uh, you know, a, a genocide, the, uh, the effects or results of major, you know, national genocide, whatever you see on the screen, the audience will take in that emotion. I think that's a really powerful thing. Why editors, well, maybe why you love editing, because it is so powerful. You are really the final person to craft the story, obviously with the director, but you have to take those images and take those emotions. And even when we do our little Brave Maker corporate video sometimes, it's, or we, when we were cutting Scarlet Thread, which we'll show the trailer to later, Allison's uh, project that we're working on, we were cutting um, something in the trailer and one look from a character that she was interacting with that was then connected with another scene made it come off in a totally different light that we didn't want. And we had to go, oh wait, that's not the feeling we want. So I love that. I think that's really powerful. Let's With that, let's watch the trailer to uh to frida so and where can people find this by the way once we watch this trailer um it's doing its festival rounds okay and it might be out sometime soon okay yeah. you heard it here first <laughs> okay let's watch the trailer stand by everybody <laughs> the one and only Big Freedom the Green people represent right here from New Orleans, Louisiana. You already know! The death of Big Freedom's brother, Adam Ross, marks the second fatal shooting in Central City this month. When are they going to wake up and realize they're not the givers or the takers of life? It's time for a change. Freedom! 
there's a lot of dynamics to gun violence. Ain't nobody just jumping up saying, I'm going to be a killer. The young guys that I see come to jail, they getting younger, younger and younger. I was thinking about counting going my dad died. I just felt that I needed protection. We have allowed the black community to be abused to such a degree, society has to take responsibility. We have to stand against a culture of destruction so we can stop putting beautiful black men in the ground. The violence has to change, it has to wake up. The violence must stop. Right on, that looks so powerful. And we have an instant question for you to respond to. Did you bounce and bounce <laughs> editing to Frida? At times it was, uh, I'm not gonna lie. Like I, I'm pretty sensitive, like, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and you were in a room, in a dark room, 14 hours a day, watching the same very sort of, you know, very dark and sad mm. material and it's like you don't bounce a lot oh, yeah. we, you know um but um the the film frida is perfect for this film because she bounces back up like it's mm -hmm. not like you know it's like she gives you a space to like take in this hard hard information but it's like this new orleans like life that comes through her that she's just like yep this is what happens and we gotta fix it you know like it's she's she's a great great voice in here in that film so as an editor can you talk a little bit about working in the documentary the unscripted space these are well even in narrative and fiction stories are powerful right and emotional and as someone who's in charge of crafting those and taking those stories and kind of weaving them together, uh, it does take a toll on you. It, it's an art and it's a craft, but it's also a really human expression of your very being. How do you balance all that stuff together? The art, the craft, the humanity of it? Um, you, well, okay, two things. Um, I work on um, Maplethorpe, look at the pictures, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with Maplethorpe's work, but um, some of the images were very graphic and um, beautiful, beautiful images, um, but it's like you kind of become desensitized to it, you know, it's just like my friends would make fun of me because they would come into my edit bay and there would always be an image of a penis. And every time they walked in and they were like shocked and I was like, oh yeah, whatever. Like you kind of get desensitized to some of the, some of the material. I just um, worked on um, a six part docuseries on Madsen um, wow. called Helter Skelter, the American myth. And um, it was six parts and my episode was four and it was, it had all the murder, every murder, every rape. <laughs> and it was just like so much violence and I actually took that in um it was a very dark December um but you know I try to leave it in the office um but 
I can no longer watch TV alone in my living room ever since this <laughs> dark, dark December. So, um, but then sometimes you just have to remind yourself that like, this is why I'm doing it. You know, like there's so much darkness in the world and it's like my little tiny, tiny chance to let these people be seen and their stories heard. And I think that's what um, I love about, you know, working in reality television and documentaries is like, these are real human beings, you know, being brave enough to tell their story. And so I, I let myself sort of, you know, like I give them a little pat, like, okay, we're telling their story. We, I can live through it, you know? That is beautiful. I love that you said it's your chance to let these people be seen. Brave Maker is all about brave stories and stories yeah. having the power to change the world. So we're, we're here for that. Absolutely. So you were saying that you're doing reality TV and some documentaries. What could we notice? Like if we were paying attention, because this is really the first that's been brought to me attention, you know, really how the extensive work that the editors are doing. So what would be Francie's, I guess you could call it like your sasson, your, your flavor. Like how would we know like this is a Francie edit? Like I recognize that. <laughs> That you don't see it, I hope. <laughs> that you don't notice that you saw it at it. Okay. Right? It's like we want to be like so discreet. You want to make an edit feel so seamless that nobody noticed there was an edit. Um, I don't know. I think that I um, it's evolved. I think it's like uh, as an editor, I have changed styles and, and each project becomes its own thing and it's kind of its own little monster you know <laughs> that um certain techniques or ways of editing are unique to that story or that moment or that scene i don't know if i have something that would be like my thing okay can you talk about your collaboration with the director on whatever film you're working on how much freedom do you have like to have versus how much guidance from them and what usually happens? Sure. I think that the collaboration is not only with the director. Um, it is with the whole like post team. Um, but uh, I'll, you know, so like, I, I don't want to leave anybody else out. Like there's sometimes the production has is big enough where there's story people and you have story teams and everybody, you know, like, so there's that side. And then there's little tiny boutique, projects like Stonewall at Loud, where it was just like the directors and me putting it all together. Um, I think it depends. I think each director has their style and way of doing things. Um, I have, I've worked with people who, you know, I, I wake up in the morning and there's always a note. <laughs> like I will always get notes first thing in the morning or I will work with directors who let me do something for three months and don't watch a single thing. And then I'm just like biting my nails like, oh, my God, she hasn't seen it or, you know, like I haven't seen anything. And then and then we work from there. So like everybody has their own style. And I think that is like the one thing that people don't talk about because nobody really lets us out of our dark rooms ever. <laughs> or like little nerds that nobody wants to hear from. But um, I think editors, like, we're almost like weird therapists. Like we, like, we mold ourselves to whoever you're collaborating with, right? Like you sort of find out what their needs are and then you give that to them. Um, 
I've been very lucky that um, I tend to build really, I'm like a, like a monog, what is that word? It's monogamous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like to work with the same people over and over because it's easy and it's, it's comfortable and um, you, you develop like just, um, you know, nonverbal communication in a way. Um, so in those situations, I love that I'm able to just, so basically I, when I put something together, I always look at it this way. I get the rough cut and then I, you know, I will do notes and then it becomes whatever it's going to become. Um, so yeah, I think it depends on what type of project. I think that, um, uh, in, in the unscripted world, the editor and the story producers really craft the story versus a scripted world where it comes from the writer. So it, the, it changes a little bit, right? Like the, the, not the power, but the, the creative space comes from the other side, like everything's already been filmed. And so we're crafting it in post. Therefore, the director is usually really strong story. They usually have a really, like to, you know, most um, documentary editor, uh, directors that I've worked with really understand story structure. I like what you're talking about when uh, you talk about the relationships and molding to whoever you're working with, but it also sounds like you've got the same collaborators over and over. And so you do, you have a shorthand, you know, sometimes just by a look or, you know, how they might respond either quick or short or not what they think. I think that's a, a beautiful inspiration to all of us is again, find your tribe. Who yes. do you want to, who do you want to work with? Because I, and I know I've definitely been in that space where you find someone you're like, Oh, this person's great. Not because they tell me what I want to hear, but because they, they can help me execute my vision, but also add on to that vision, things I don't see. And they're not afraid, right. To share things that might be contradictory, but do it in a way that doesn't, I mean, I want to hear hard things. I want to hear new ideas, but I don't want to work with somebody who is all about like just getting their stuff out there and kind of minimizing what I'm trying to bring to the table. So that collaborative process needs to be massaged and needs to be friendly. That's what I, I really look forward to. Um, so I wonder if you have any tips, and this is also a question, Robertino, what are your tips while editing and sitting for hours? And he also said he loves Maplethorpe. Oh, awesome. So I kind of wanted to sort of tag on to what you were talking about collaboration. Um, a lot of these long form documentaries, you work with other editors and you don't, you know, you, you leave that ego out the door because you have a project to work on together. And so collaboration is key and also trusting, having like a genuine tribe that you trust and you can bounce ideas off of is key. Like I have my edit homies that I'll like be cutting something that they're, they've, you know, they're not working on and I'll just send them pieces and um, you know, they elevate me. Like nobody has, like, I don't have all the answers. If I did, it'd be super lame. Cause I'm, you know, I'm not that interesting, <laughs> but like great ideas come from great people like pushing each other to higher, you know, versions, like sometimes, and I don't care, I'll show something like mid, like mid work. And I'm like, what do you think of this? And the people that I trust will elevate it will be like, yes, do this or girl, just 
start over tomorrow. Um, so that was what I was going to add about what you were saying. But what was the question? Uh, any tips? I'll bring it back up. Any tips while you're sitting and editing for hours upon hours upon hours? Um, of watching the footage or like physical, like how do I handle sitting? Yeah, how hours? about both? I mean, yeah, like any creative craft tips that you have as you edit and sit in a bay for mm -hmm. hours. You know, do you get up every two hours and walk around the building? Do you do you know push-ups for two minutes? <laughs> how do you? I have a hump. I just discovered a hump. Um, like I'm becoming that dowager hump lady. So I started doing stretches because of that. Um, now that I'm working from home a lot more, I'm going on walks, which is key. And I have a Peloton bike that I hop on like 15 minutes just to think about things and then, and then, you know, go back to work. So that's been really handy as I'm stretching my back right now. Just my hump is so embarrassing. Um, <laughs> um, and then, what like when I'm working, I don't even notice time go by. Like if I'm really into something, it just goes by and you're like, how did that happen? Um, but when you asked the question, I thought of something that um, I thought might be helpful is um, when I watch the footage for the first time, I write down my initial, like my initial thoughts and I put them away and they are always right. Like you forget about it. You know, a year later, you're like rewatching the footage that you've been working on for a year. And you've totally forgotten because it's like you've been looking at it and it's evolved and it's changed over the course of the edit and you've sculpted it in a certain way. But I'm telling you, those first initial feelings that you had about the footage always come back and haunt you. <laughs> like, you know, if you felt weird about a shot and you're like, I feel like, you know, this insinuates ABC and then you forget about it. And then somebody will be like, I think this feels like ABC. And you're like, damn it. I knew it. Mm. So I, I always write down my initial feelings about something um, and then revisit it towards the end of an edit just to make sure like, oh yeah, this is how I felt that first day. How do I feel about it now? Did I fix it or did I make it better? Did I enhance it? Like I'm watching somebody and I'm like, that moment made me cry and it wasn't even edited. Does it still make me cry? That's great. You know? That's a great one. Write down your initial feelings about the edit and go back to that. We have Viliami, also known as Lupe, who's on our Brave Maker team. He's asking about, can you talk about your editing software programs? From past to current, have they changed? How has it been? What's the timeline? So Final Cut Pro 7 was the one that got away. That was the best, but they you can't work on it anymore. Um, I work on Avid Media Composer. It's the one, the one that everybody uses. Um, every production, every big, every big production where that is going to entail more than one editor will most likely be working on Avid just because the sharing capabilities are so great. Um, but, you know, I've done a couple projects on Premiere and it's kind of like giving me a little bit of that Final Cut Pro feeling. It's the really stepped it up and it's, it's, a re it's great because you can talk to all the other Adobe software um, so, and, and that's actually coming up like a lot, especially with the, the home edits. I feel like a lot of companies are letting their editors work on Premiere. For those of us who have no idea what a editor's what I just is, said? can you describe yours to us? <laughs> what is my what? 
your editor bay editors bay yeah what like what that? does it look like yeah what does it look like is this just a room with like a ton of computers is it just <laughs> you and an ipad like how does that work so right now it's my guest bedroom so when <laughs> ali comes to visit she's sleeping in my office so i just have um an iMac with an extra monitor and um you know it's really simple um I'm working on little things like I got a little light for behind my monitor um and then and mainly like in when you go and you work in a post house you'll have a bigger setup bigger computer um you know I'm not gonna nerd out too much but nerd like out. fancy speakers you know a mixer you know UPS to back up just to make sure your stuff doesn't crash and die. Allison says it's an amazing room, both as an edit bay, it sounds like as as well as a guest room for her to sleep in. <laughs> so speaking of Allison Ewing, let's uh, watch her her trailer of her newest short film that is coming out through Brave Maker, edited by our own Viliami Telekai, also known as Lupe. Take a watch of the Scarlet Thread coming soon. I didn't. I wouldn't. We have you on surveillance tape at the school. I think I need to speak to a lawyer. Yo, yo, it's true. About the cops? Yeah. How do you know? Yeah, my, my dad told me last night. I know. You're good at it. You're a great teacher. You care more than most people. I thought you cared. You're gonna get what you deserve. You're a joke. I know we couldn't trust you. Confess. You did it. Yay, we're so excited for Allison. Yes. You need to go to our go to our website at bravemaker.com slash buzz and sign up on our mailing list so you can find out when that comes out. And if you're on that mailing list, you might even get a sneak peek of when it does before anybody else. So uh, speaking of more movies, let's watch the trailer. We'll also put the full, the whole full-length link to the um, Stonewall Out Loud that is a full-length documentary on YouTube originals, right, that Francie got to uh, cut. So stand by. I'm going to bring the trailer out for YouTube Out Loud, and we'll come back and we'll talk about that. Without their voices and their actions. We would not have the freedoms that we have today. It's important for their voices to live through us. 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 They suddenly were not submissive anymore. We were now dealing with human beings. Yeah, so what do you want to tell us about that project? That was my favorite thing to ever edit. Like, okay. I'm not going to, no joke, no joke. Um, we had six weeks from production to delivery and it was insane. So that part was really crazy. But, um, you know, 
the um, the original documentary it was a um, it was an audio documentary that was done like 20 years ago, and um, my directors had this insane idea to lip sync with you know current actors and celebrities, and um, I thought they were nuts. I was just like, are you, this is so weird. This is so weird. And uh, I went on set the first day and um, Daniel Franzese was, I don't know if it's Franzese or Francesi, but he was the first person that um, we filmed. And oh my God, it was amazing. Like just to see the emotion come to life. Like he's an amazing actor and he just, you know, he played this character that was really hard to understand as a human, but he just really brought him to life. And in a way that I, it just gave, it gave me chills on set. And I never go to set, by the way, never, I refuse. But this time I did, and I was just blown away. And um, I was like, this is gonna work. Um, and it just does so much, like it just brings this amazing, like, literally like our freedoms like we're standing on the shoulders of these people like that fought so hard for their rights and it just tells so much like this is them and there's a gen two generations through these people and it's just very powerful just the just the idea just to see it it's so moving and um I cried like a little girl too yeah, I'm just an emotional mess when I make this, when I'm editing. <laughs> so I would say my edit bay has a lot of Kleenex. <laughs> um, I love that. Yeah, I it was. I had to watch it late last night and I was in tears. I identify as Claire and my birthday is also in June. And I always like June is such a huge, it's Pride Month. And I never really understood the origins of it. And if you're really curious, about the origins of Pride and how we got here, you got to watch Stonewall Out Loud. And it's presented in such a creative, empowering, uh, gripping way. Like, you can't take your eyes away. You, It's almost like you're in disbelief. It's like, I'm looking at Lance Bass. What am I, what am I really hearing and seeing? It's so wild. And the footage is incredible. And I was going to ask you that. Are you normally on set? Is that standard for the editor to be on set? And you said no. No, I have... I have, I just believe in feel, it's what I call field eyes. Like whenever people are on the field, they think that they got something so amazing. You know, it's like, cause when you're there and you get so excited or, or actually you don't realize what you got. Um, I just think it changes the perception. So I'm a huge believer of just let me sit in my dark bay mm -hmm. and just take it in as like, this is the only thing I have. I yeah. don't know how long they were on set. I don't know what that person had for lunch. You know what I mean? Like the, all I see is what they did on screen. Cause that's, that's all it. I need, you know? That's interesting. Do you think, is that just a documentary unscripted thing? Cause I do a lot of narrative stuff and I love having the editor on because the editor can see things I don't see in regards to the edit. So would it be different if you were editing something that was fictional narrative? Uh, no, I just think that people work different ways. Um, I went out, my friend, you know, I cut um, a short film for a friend of mine and same thing. I just don't, I don't want to be swayed. Mm -hmm. I just want to see the magic happen. And you got to try, I mean, the director, right? Like they're going to get what they want. 
If I'm not going to edit, if I'm not going to edit the piece, I will gladly go on set and help a homie out. But I love that. I think that's cool. I appreciate that. That's, that's your style. It's almost like for me, I could never imagine working at my favorite cafe, Seclismo Cafe, because it would take the wonder <laughs> and the mystery and the love. You know, I don't want to see what happens behind the, the, you know, the, the wall. I want to like take it in. So I think that's a cool piece of your, your artistic style, which let's watch <laughs> yeah. a quick little clip from your growing up short film, which oh, yeah. I know only has like three minutes to it, but it's really cool. And it just goes to show you have a huge breadth of talent that you're not just doing documentary unscripted, but you've got this really beautiful other world you have created as well. So this was a friend of yours film. Is that right? Yeah. Annabelle Frost. That was penis. That wasn't it. Yeah. <laughs> Stand by. Keep um, telling us about this while I while I find the right yeah, thing. Yeah, Annabelle did. Um, she's a director, um, and she works in scripted, and she runs post production in scripted. And um, her boss was like, "It's your time. If you should shoot a short, and let's see if." You know, let's convince some people that you can direct an episode. So um, I forget now what, what show it was. It's off the did, air now. Did she but, get it? Did she yes. Get it? Oh, so yes. Cool. So we, you know, she shot her film and um, it was, it did really well at, at festivals. But the most important thing is that Warner Brothers was like, sure, we'll hire you. So she's done like two or three episodes of television now. Based on a short film. so Yes, but I mean, and years of experience in post. Like she's got, I mean, like she runs these huge shows in post. But it goes to show that she had to prove herself to this space, even though she had all this experience in the post-production world. So she had to, did she write it as well, as well as direct it? Yeah, she wrote it, directed it. Cool. Let's just watch a couple minutes of it Mm -hmm. because I think it's really fun. It's got this really fun kind of magic surrealism to it. Just a fish, Abby. Everyone loves flowers, Fitz. You need a boyfriend. Hey, Jimmy, you missed a spot. I just moved in. Okay. Hey, 
You've never been? They have more than 500 kinds of roses. It's beautiful. Me? You wouldn't rather go with someone else? Hmm. Man, it is hot today. Uh-huh. Guess it's just me tonight. Hey, Fitz, where's the new guy? I gotta get going. Oh, Jimmy? I don't know. I got him around doing a couple of things. Why? Got a hot day tonight or something? Oh, you're hilarious, Fitz. <clears throat> and here I was hoping you'd join me for a walk in the park. Unless you have other plans. I think I'm free. May I? That's all we get for now. No. That was fun. That was really she did fun. A really good job. She did really so good. good. It, I remembered what um, it's. It was for. Uh, she was working for Gotham at the time, and so oh. she got to direct an episode of Gotham. Which, uh, as the film goes on, it um, there's a lot of effects, a lot of um, special effects, and um, she made a lot of decisions because she wanted to show that she was like, she could live in the effect world. Um, but also she wanted to do like, she didn't want to be obvious and be like, here's a dark story right. because I'm going to direct for Gotham. Like she went the other way. She like surprised them all like, Oh, you know, this is a light and bright and just surreal story. And it was stylized. It was, yeah. It lived in this world of when bellhops and elevator operators were still a thing. And the fish, I, I was, I had to mute Christina because she, she was laughing. It was so cute. Christina, <laughs> you were totally enjoying it. But yeah, I, I enjoyed it too. I wanted to know, to know more. So yeah, really well, well yeah. done. And I, I love the, I love the, the filmmaking world so much. You can just do, do so much. So, all right. We have a few minutes left with yeah. Francie, Francie Cashler, everybody. If you're watching live, you want to ask one more question please go ahead and do that uh, make sure you do follow her on her instagram page 
at uh, F Cashler. Go ahead and follow her and support her. We're going to do one quick little 30 second commercial. We'll be back for our final couple minutes. So if you have any questions, get them ready and take a look at this commercial for our upcoming class and our merchandise. Yeah, baby. So if you want to write a short film, we have a class coming up in October. Go to our website, bravemaker.com slash classes. And then we've got merchandise if you like shirts and hats and stuff like that. But uh, Francie, so what is the future holding for you? Do you have uh, your the rest of your year slotted with projects? Are you looking for more things? Yeah, she's yes. <laughs> nodding her head. And it's so exciting. And I can't tell you what it is, <laughs> but it's very cool. Um, actually... You know, Winnie Wong, mm-hmm. she, um, she, I just texted her. She's my producer on the project. And she was like, say hi to Tony. Oh, right um, yeah. yeah. So we're a small world, people. Small world. Yeah. She's, uh, we met years ago up here in the Bay Area. And that's how it works. And you never know when those things are going to come back and when someone's going to recommend you. I always like to get some wisdom or some tips to people who want to, make stuff what would you say like what does it look like to be a brave maker to brave your own way in this industry to you know see these creative goals come true what kind of things do you encourage people to to do or how do they how do we tackle our self um you know sounds extreme but the self-hatred the self-censorship that we bring upon ourselves sometimes we're our worst enemy anything you want to share about that we are our worst enemy aren't we i think it just comes from being creative i think that um I think it's like, know your shit, just, Mm -hmm. you know, like I went to film school, but like study your shit, know your shit so that when you get your chance, you're ready. Um, And only bitch to your mom (laughs) because nobody wants to hear about it. And and you're just going to make no, like, you're not going to make friends. The other thing I think it, it's like, you hear about like, oh, you need to meet people. You need to network, but like build genuine friendships. Like, you, I can read a, a faker a mile away, you know what I mean? Just like be yourself, be true to yourself, and you will meet people that will gravitate towards you. Like not everybody's going to like you. You're not going to be able to work with everybody, but you can build genuine relationships. And, and you know, and like I said, that's every job I've ever gotten is because of a homie I worked with or knew in college. Can I add on to what Francie just said? Because I think we got her merchandise quote a little bit earlier. She said, help a homie out. That was her <laughs> advice. How She's like, I'm more than willing to go on set and help a homie out. So I think that's what we're talking about. Build mm-hmm. genuine relationships. Be authentic in your artistry. And, and help a homie out whenever you can. Those are with the collaborations, you know. So that's that's beautiful advice. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, Francie. I'm, we're, no yeah, worries. We're, all about that and really appreciate your work and your uh, sharing your stories with us. If you are watching live, you can see in the chat, we put the full length 
uh, YouTube documentary called Stonewall Out Loud. So follow that. If you're listening on the podcast or on the replay, you can check the show notes for that as well. And we've got um, her, her Instagram. Make sure you follow her at F Cashler. And maybe someday you'll get to work with her too. If you've got some project, that's how it works. You can say, I heard you on the Brave Maker show. <laughs> you say, help, help me out. <laughs> help me out. <laughs> You know, we have a we have a merch store, Francie, and uh, sometimes occasionally things that people say, their quotes, end up on shirts that we put on our merch store. So That's you awesome. might just say, help a homie out there. Any final yeah. words you want to share with us and with the Brave Maker crew? No, I think you guys, like, I just think it's so awesome that you've built this community and it makes people feel so comfortable. And it feels like, just from what I've heard with from Allie, like, there's such a sense of, like community in your environment and you support so many filmmakers that feel like they're alone. Thank you. That's, yeah, that's, that's, it's important. Even as we're talking, it's funny as a, as a filmmaker uh, and as a brave maker, I still need, like I'm, my insecurities are still raging all the time. Like I still need to do this for myself. Like I'm doing this for other people because I also need it for myself. Like this is really hard. It's really hard to be a creative. It's really hard to tell stories and put it out there and ask for money and find, you know, make the time, but it's so necessary. Like we, you know, you have to do it. You do. If you're listening to this, if you're watching this, you're doing it for a reason. Well, you know, Francine, you love her, but you're also doing it because you go, hey, I want to move my projects forward. I want to make a difference in the world. I want to create art. And it takes uh, a lot of time and investment. And we believe that investment in yourself is really important and, and, it's, and it's worth it. So so do it. Do it, everybody. Yeah. All right. You have one more thing to say? I have one like more thing have- to say that I just thought of when you were talking. I would, I learned about this because my husband just switched careers recently. And he had this whole story about, um, like, he learned about imposter syndrome. Have you guys heard of it? Yeah. yeah. For sure. Holy, like, I never, <laughs> I never had a word for it. Yeah. But, so I always think, like, I even coming on today like nobody wants to freaking talk to me and i'm like why you've been a editor for 20 years that's like right. that's exactly totally. how obama felt probably right. going into right. the white house like oh i'm here you know like he probably had a little imposter syndrome i think we all have it and you know what that feeds your soul and that gets you going like you should be a little scared because that means it's worth it yeah, that's totally right. I'm with you on that. If you've never heard that phrase before, look it up and recognize if you ever walk into a room and start sizing yourself up and comparing yourself to others and wondering why you're there. This is huge for actors on auditions. You walk into a room and you see 20 people who look exactly like you, same height, same hair color, sometimes same skin. And you're going, oh, my gosh, like what is happening? Why do they want me? And I remember one person told me, no, if the casting director called you in there, they want you. You could get this role. So start believing it. And then imposterism starts to go away when you start telling yourself, I'm enough and I have something to offer the world. And if they say no, that's OK. At least they called you in. And that's a good sign. So keep moving forward. Keep making it happen. Keep seeing your dreams come alive. That's why we're here. Francis this was so good. Allison's like sad face. It's over. I feel the same way because we could talk for quite some time with you. So thank you for sharing. Uh, Christina and I love doing this on a regular basis, and we hope we can do this again with you. And we want you to tune in on Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific time and 5 p.m. Eastern time. We are talking with Clayton Davis, who just 
basically came became the awards editor of Variety magazine. So if you read Variety magazine, you read the trades, you care about justice and diversity and inclusion in film and TV, come meet Clayton Davis mm -hmm. this Thursday uh, at 2 p.m. Pacific time on the 24th of September. Cool. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, Francie. This has been great. Christina, you know what we always say, brave stories change the world. You are the story. Thanks, my friends. <laughs> Don't forget, we're a 501c3 nonprofit. All of your donations help us keep doing this work. Go to bravemaker.com slash donate and become one of our partners today so we can keep this nonprofit alive, keep doing this work, supporting mm -hmm. artists. All right. Till next time, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Brave Maker podcast. Subscribe. Give us a rating and share with a friend. BraveMaker is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our work is funded by generous patrons like you. Support the podcast with a tax-deductible donation at bravemaker.com. Brave stories change the world. You are the story.